Welcome back to the best college football pick and pod in the land. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black. We're coming to you from bellyupsports.com, and this is another Pick'em Rewind. Alan, a lot has happened since we last talked. I know it was kind of a rough sports weekend for you, but how in the world are you? I am the man in black. I have now surpassed Johnny Cash as the man with the most weeping and gnashing of teeth that you can imagine. And uh, the Braves suck, break my heart every year. And uh, so, and, and the balls, they didn't even try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a new week, right? You, Absolutely. You get, to do, you get to do it all again, which is amazing and the best part of it. Absolutely. I had high hopes for you. Uh, I'm kind of a Braves fan myself, but baseball isn't my natural sport. So I know you felt it a lot worse than I did. Uh, so I felt for you there, and I kind of felt for you with Tennessee. But at the same time, uh, from a kid who grew up just outside of Lexington, Kentucky, seeing Kentucky win in Knoxville for the first time in my lifetime, I was kind of pleased with that. But from a pick'em standpoint, you know, it wasn't the best result for me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hey, I'm, I am happy for you because you and I have talked about the fact that that you have a, a hidden fandom for for Kentucky. You want to <laughs> see them do well, and and that makes a ton of sense. And, uh, you know, it, it was a win-win for you, right? Like if Tennessee won, then you looked great. You could come on here and gloat and do the cha-ching sound. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if Tennessee lost and, you know, they did, obviously, then you can sit back as a fan and enjoy that. You hedged your bets. That's pretty smart. Absolutely, man. It was fun. As we're alluding to, like we talked about, this is a Pick'em Rewind. So let's go ahead and look back at the Pick'em Contest for the week six that we just got through. Take a look at the standings and all that happened over the weekend. Alan, we had a winner this week, a weekly winner. Spencer went eight and two. He picked up 46 points. He picked up at least four points on every person in the field. He bumped up to 17th place, so he's not the highest ranked, uh, but he did climb past an awful lot of people with his weekend. And after the weekend, nobody in the top 10 was our weekly winner, uh, but now we've got co-leaders, Cameron and Garrett, sitting at 253 points apiece. So, Alan, it was a busy weekend with a lot going on. What's your reaction to our weekly winner, Spencer, as well as the fact that we've got co-leaders after week six? Yeah, it was a little bullish on Memphis, and uh, I mean, congrats to him. He, he did a great job, and uh, even had Kentucky at a three. So those were the two um, kind of going into it. We're, we're almost toss-up games. He got the Georgia game wrong, but he got it wrong at a one. So, I mean, that's not a big deal, right? But he got Kentucky right at a three, which was um, a pretty big deal since almost the rest of the field, save for a couple of people, picked Tennessee. And then he got the Memphis game right, which was, uh, you know, uh, probably 65-35 UCF. And when you get those a couple of those 50-50 type games right, then um, you end up on top. And so kudos to him. Absolutely. It was a big deal. And our co-leaders, Cameron and Garrett, are sitting in a wonderful spot as we head into this middle part of the season. Alan, let's go ahead and take a look back at what you and I did this past week. You came in a tie for 10th place in the weekly standings. 
You picked up 37 points going 7-3 and three in your picks. But the big deal for you is, even despite just finishing a tie for 10th, you still moved up in the standings. You went from a tie for 4th to 3rd place overall. You're only behind Cameron and Garrett. And you were 5 points back going into the weekend. Now you're just 3 points back. And when you look at what I did, I had the 4th best week overall. I got 40 points with an 8-2 and two week. And I moved up from 10th place overall to 6th place. I was trailing by 13 points, and now I'm only back eight. So movement by both of us. We're both sitting in a really solid spot here in the top 10 as we move our way into week seven. Exactly. And it's only going to get crazier, right? This week we've got 15 games with tons of total points available. And so this was the most limited we've had points available in a couple of weeks. And so um, I'm happy, you know, that, that we're right where we need to be. And, uh, it's going to be fun to see what happens. It is absolutely going to be fun to see what happens. And as we move our way through October, as we've told you each week here in October, if you manage to find yourself with a perfect slate, we haven't seen one yet, then you get your name thrown into a drawing for a prize from Manscaped. We've got a ton of cool stuff going on here for you on the best college football pick and pod in the land. And if you happen to get one of those perfect weeks, not only do you get your name thrown into the drawing, but you are going to launch up the leaderboard because Alan, as Alan said, we have a lot of points available starting this week with the return of the Big Ten and all of that. So a lot of big stuff going on and important things to look at. Alan, any takeaways uh, as we think about how difficult that will be, but at the same time, the massive reward you could get from a perfect week? Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, it happens uh, in a 10-game schedule, 10-game picks, you normally get maybe one perfect week every two years, personally, right? So with a 15-game week, with as much uncertainty as there is with the Big Ten schedule coming back this week and us having a cup like three Big Ten games, uh, I, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think if anybody has over ten or eleven wins for for this type of week, I would I would that would be an incredible week. And chances are you could vault. Um, significantly up if you get a couple of those right. Absolutely. Alan, I'm with you. I think anywhere in the 10 to 12 picks right range is going to be an awesome, awesome week. Of course, it matters where your point values fall, uh, but with 120 points available coming in the next week, you know, I, I think that I don't know that we'll have anybody hit 100 points, but hey, we might have somebody up in the 90s and, and you're probably going to make some massive jumps if you do that. So, Alan, let's go ahead and look back at this past week. Let's do what we've started doing and look at it time slot by time slot. In the early portion of the day, we had South Carolina knocking off Auburn, Clemson absolutely destroying Georgia Tech, Miami beating Pittsburgh and Kentucky with the route of Tennessee. Alan, what are your first thoughts coming away with those uh, first four games of the afternoon this past Saturday? Well, it got both you and I off to a good start for South Carolina, right? You and I both picked that game right at home. They made some key plays. Most importantly, in my opinion, they could run the ball. And and they run the ball really, really well. Between that and Bo Nix throwing interceptions, those were the deciding factors in that game. And you and I've talked about this. Auburn is in trouble. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it, to me, uh, we talked about on the previous uh, week how I, I just didn't think there was anything I could trust Auburn with. And 
going on the road against the South Carolina team that, yeah, they haven't been great in recent years. Uh, but to me, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by them. I think they've played fairly well this year. And I knew that they had some defensive backs that could go up against Auburn's wide receivers. I felt pretty good about that. And I just knew that Bo Nix having uh, some, you know, a lot of pressure put on his shoulders to be able to carry them through on the road in a situation where I kind of liked the matchup, I just didn't really trust that coming through. Turns out, Auburn actually moved the ball up and down the field pretty well. They actually had their running game going as well. But I think you're right. I think South Carolina getting their running game going, especially in the second half, was a big-time factor in them being able to come away with a win. Agreed. Well, and, and Auburn had a chance to to really extend the lead and potentially put that game away early. But then South Carolina's defense managed to, to step in front of a pass and then again, when they were getting down by, uh, you know, uh, Auburn was driving, they were able to tip a ball and make the play on it and get another interception. And then they turned both of those into touchdowns, most importantly, right? And, and that ended up being the, uh, the deciding factors in the game, um, even with Bo Nix almost being able to get in the end zone there uh, on the final plays. Yeah, I'm with you. Alan, I don't know that there's a ton to say about the Clemson Tigers defeating the Yellow Jackets from Georgia Tech 73-7. to Remarkably impressive, but I don't think there's a lot of point in putting a lot of time into this contest. Nope, they're the best. <laughs> All right, Alan, let's jump over to Miami taking down Pittsburgh 31-19. to uh, If we review from last week, this is one of your value picks you said to slide Miami down your board. I was on the exact same page with you. And then all of a sudden, watch out. Watch for that news breaking Saturday morning. We had the news that Kenny Pickett, the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh, was not going to play in the game. And so that kind of changed things. You and I both pushed Miami higher up on our boards, and it made a lot of sense. So I don't think there's really a ruling in this one on the value play itself. I think you made a really good play, but you know the Kenny Pickett news really, I think, negated that play. So uh, you've got to be paying attention to this stuff as we work our way up to kickoff on Saturdays uh, because if you followed our our information, I think it was the right play, but the Kenny Pickett news absolutely made a difference for Miami in this one. Oh, I totally agree with you there. I mean, I feel bad for Joey Yellen, uh, the new the new starter for, for Pittsburgh. If, if he plays this week, and that's, that's probably going to happen, that um, what a tough first couple of outings. He starts against the University of Miami, and then he has Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So welcome welcome to big boy football. Absolutely. And I, really the difference in this game is you look at what Yellen was able to do with Pittsburgh's offense. He still threw the ball decently. He connected on some passes and some relatively big plays for them. Uh, but Pittsburgh was in the situation where they were settling for field goals every time they got scoring opportunities. On the other end, the Hurricanes were turning their score op- scoring opportunities into touchdowns. And when that's the difference in the game, you're just not going to be able to keep up unless you're playing elite, elite defense. And so that really was the separating factor. And having a backup quarterback in there meant the world for Miami being able to pull off this win. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what good teams do. They score touchdowns in the red zone. And it showed the inefficiency of a young quarterback, right? Yellen went 22 for 46 with a touchdown. Just the sheer volume, you, sh- you should not have a, a new starter throw the ball 46 times on the road against a top 12, 15 team, right? Yeah. Like that's a, 
recipe for a loss. And it, it means that you're behind the whole time and you're just trying to claw back. Um, with him having more incompletions than completions, that shows his inefficiencies. And that's that comes about very clearly in the red zone where those windows get a little bit tighter. Alan, the last game of the early slot that we talked about was Kentucky's romp over Tennessee. I know it hurt you personally, but at the same time, what kind of look did you have at this game? Obviously, the pick sixes with Jarrett Garantano made a massive difference in the first half in allowing the Wildcats to jump out on top. Yeah, I mean, what a disaster that is for Tennessee and for Jeremy Pruitt. And two pick sixes and three interceptions in five minutes because then JT Shrout came in. They finally decided to give JT a, a chance to, to sit on the bench, and which he deserved. You know, he earned that spot on the bench. Um, and then they put him back in. They went right back down the field. But after that, the team quit. The defense quit. And, and kudos to Kentucky. They kept running the ball. And um, Terry Wilson was great across the middle of the field. I think he had maybe nine completions across the middle of the field. And uh, they were efficient, and they imposed their will in the second half. But that was a, a team that I think quit on its quarterback and ultimately its coach. So we'll see this week because they've got a nice little test coming. <laughs> they absolutely do against the Crimson Tide. Uh, so not a ton else to review with that one other than this was my value play for the week. I had Tennessee and I slid them up my board. I said, hey, I thought you could find a couple extra points out of there. <laughs> That was wrong. Forget that. So (laughs) hope you didn't follow my advice in that one. But if you did, I still think it was a logical play. But Kentucky outplayed everybody who was on the balls in that one. Alan, let's go ahead and jump over to the mid-afternoon slate. We had Notre Dame in a snooze fest winning against Louisville. Memphis and UCF with a shootout, nearly putting up 100 points on the board. And Texas A&M winning by a couple touchdowns over Mississippi State. Where do you want to go first? I'll start first with Notre Dame. That was ugly, and it was pretty disappointing, right? I I think they must have been riding too high after beating the now juggernaut Florida State Seminoles the previous week at all. (laughs) I mean, that was was pathetic. I I think at some point they maybe have thought with as poor as Louisville's defense has been, I think maybe they thought they could just roll in there and just roll the ball out and, and whoop them, and they couldn't. And uh, so you had two yawn games, really, in that 330 slot because the A&M game was kind of a, a yawn game versus a really bad Mississippi State team. You know, the, the Pirates, uh, you know, this is like the fourth uh, fourth and Pirates of the Caribbean. They just It just gets worse every <laughs> single time they roll back out there. I understand that. Alan, I'm going to also defer to you mainly on this time slot. You know this, of course, but I was at a wedding Saturday afternoon, so all I could do is check my phone every once in a while and kind of get the feel for these games. So I've seen some highlights, but I certainly missed a lot of the action that went on in this slate. So tell me about what happened. Memphis coming away with the one-point win, 50-49 to over UCF. There were 1,500 yards of offense in this game. Just remarkable and quite a shootout. Lots of fireworks going on. So, Alan, what's your reaction to the win from the Memphis Tigers? Oh, boy, that was a wild, wild game, bruh. Like, UCF should have won that game for all intents and purposes. They were up by multiple scores. Like, I was – if the Tennessee game didn't get me redneck mad, 
over, you know, at the 12 o'clock spot, I was red deck <laughs> mad after the UCF game, after picking them, had a chance to get some points. They were up by multiple scores late and gave it away. And both freaking losses, they've given away double-digit leads. They still should have won, but but college kickers. I mean, kudos to Brady White and the Memphis Tigers. They made plays that, that they needed to. They score, They obviously scored 50 points, right, and, and put up ungodly amounts of yards. But UCF should have won this game, and that's twice that they should have won a game this year and, and didn't. I think that they really miss Mackenzie Milton. And as he gets closer and closer, I don't know that Dylan, even though Dylan Gabriel is putting up great numbers, I think he had like 350 yards in the first half of passing, which is unbelievable, right? Like that should not ever, ever be the case against anyone. But, uh, and, but here we are, they still lose. I mean, I don't know how you build a defense that bad like <laughs> in NCAA football I, I seriously couldn't have built a defense so bad uh, so poorly like honest to god it's terrible well we know that both of these teams struggle on the defensive side of the ball I wonder too how much of it plays into uh, the opt-outs that we saw preseason from UCF uh, I know not everybody was on the defensive side of the ball and I know it's not all starters uh, but do you remember that day preseason where we had 10 UCF players announced they were opting out? And I just wonder, hey, is it something of, you know, the depth that's really hurt the Knights as they look at their season and just go, you know what, they're already not great defensively. If they're going up against a team with some talent offensively, they're just going to continue to wear down and down as the game goes on. I don't know if that's a big factor, but it feels like it could be a play. Yeah, and honestly, that makes a lot of sense. And I'd forgotten that they had that many opt-outs. But something like that really does hurt uh, your depth. And especially when your own natural style of play hurts your defense anyway. Sure. And it puts them in positions where they fail. Um, well, I mean, it ended up costing them in this game. Absolutely. Alan, let's go ahead and jump into the night slate. I'm going to take us through a little bit purposefully here. Let's look at the Virginia Tech-Boston College game. Uh, I didn't watch this one a whole lot, but Virginia Tech really got that offense going again. Uh, Boston College really couldn't do a whole lot. Uh, the Hokies won it 40-14, to 14, so a pretty impressive showing there once again. I think showing that Virginia Tech, while not one of the top you know, handful of teams in the ACC, they are still one of the better teams in the conference. Agreed. I mean, they really just imposed their will on BC, right? I mean, they could they could just do what they wanted to do. They wanted to run the ball. We talked about that last week. That that's what they wanted to do, and um, and they were able to. Uh, Virginia Tech was really impressive. It was. Alan, let's bounce over to the big upset of the day: Florida State knocking off North Carolina. 31 to 28. It was a stunner. They were up 31 to 7 at halftime. This one was bonkers, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Alan, <laughs> what's your takeaway from the Seminoles coming out on top of the Tar Heels? Ooh, well, evidently, North Carolina's defense um, really is not that great, right? Like the two games in a row that they've just been torched. And unbelievably, without three straight drops like oopsie daisies drops yeah. like I can't believe it's not butter drops they probably end up winning that game but kudos to the Seminoles I mean this is a this is a really big win for them because their year could have gone in the tank 
if they had lost this game. Yeah, it nearly did against Jacksonville State. And just to right the ship a little bit, even though some funky Mm -hmm. stuff happened in the first half, they had a couple of blocked punts, they had a pick six, they had a lot of things go their way. North Carolina failed a couple times on fourth down. Uh, There were a bunch of things that went their way to be able to get that win, but that huge lead is everything they needed because North Carolina took over in the second half and I'm with you it really looked like they were going to win that game and heck if they had made some different choices even if they had kicked a field goal once or twice there early in the second half rather than going forward on fourth downs they may have even taken it to overtime or even won the game without uh, an extra period yeah absolutely and think back to the end of the first half when Florida State after UNC goes down makes it 24 to 7 there's like a minute on the clock left and, and Florida state was able to go back down and get to 31. They were able to get into the end zone to make it 31 to seven going into half. And that ended up being the difference in the game, which is pretty wild. Definitely. So Alan, I think that about covers us for that uh, game as well. Let's jump on over to our game of the week from week six It was Alabama against Georgia. The Crimson Tide coming away with a 17-point win despite trailing at halftime. What's your takeaway from the big one out of the SEC? Bama is really, really dang good. I don't know how you stop them. Between Waddle and Smith and Minchie, um, the best offense beat the best defense. And so, in my opinion, up to this point, this is the most impressive performance of the year. What's your takeaway? Yeah, I agree with you. And it's kind of what I expected. Uh, You know, against Georgia's defense, of course, it might be the best defense in the country, but you mentioned it with all the weapons that Alabama has, all those guys that can spread the field, run deep, uh, all those little slant routes, they can be just beat you with speed if they get the right angle on you. Uh, They're really, really impressive and they're really hard to stop. Uh, you mentioned it, all the receivers they have. Uh, it's just kind of like they've got three number one receivers, honestly, from Mechie uh, to what they have with Waddle and and Devonta Smith as well. It's really impressive and really unstoppable what they have. So Georgia put up a fight. You know, they're up at halftime. And honestly, I was very impressed with Georgia in the first half, but I still felt like even at halftime, even though Georgia kind of impressed me in playing a little bit better than I thought they would. I still felt like Alabama was going to come out with the win in the long run. It was the pick that you and I made last week. We both went with the Crimson Tide. That cashed. So we sit in a position where, hey, we're looking at this. Alabama's kind of what we thought they were, and the elite offense really did give uh, Georgia's defense fits, even though it maybe is the best defense in the country. Absolutely. This was essentially the Tennessee-Georgia game, except Georgia was the team that got blown out. <laughs> so they Georgia got to beat Tennessee and give up 21 second-half points. I, I think the storyline, it's easy to look at those, those three wide receivers, but Najee Harris was able to have 152 yards on the ground. That was huge. And that kept – yeah, I think that really – that kept them on schedule. They were able to, to spread it out at that point. And the other, the other deal was that Bennett really struggled. He was really inefficient, had three interceptions. I think that was, that ended up, that made the score look a little worse than maybe it would have otherwise. Oh, I I don't think even if he was efficient, I don't think they would have 
like I don't think they would have won, but it made the score bigger than it needed to be. I agree completely because I think that Georgia was very, very competitive in the game. Even though they were shut out in the second half, uh, you know, Georgia even went down deep down the field right before Alabama really gained control. It looked like Georgia was probably going to push another one in the end zone. And I think it was a third and 10 where Bennett threw it over the middle. It was kind of out of reach for his receiver. He reached up, tipped it, and then it went into the arms of an Alabama safety. And then I think that was the one where, was it Devonta Smith who had the 90-yard touchdown reception? I think that was the one that turned right uh, around from there. Yeah, I think that may have been Waddle. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. It but, was Waddle when the defender but, fell down on I mean, the outside. Those, yeah, those guys are just unbelievable. They put so much pressure on you over the top that, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no way really to defend them. So yeah. it's gonna, I, I don't know anybody outside of Clemson unless just they don't show up or Mac Jones gets hurt or, you know, something like that. Sure. I, I, the rest of the SEC is in trouble. Yeah. And I, I'm just, I think the only point I was making though is like Alabama was still kind of in a dogfight with Georgia. And then, you know, that interception and then the turnaround, the touchdown to Waddle is really what gave them the separation. But, I, I mean, I agree. I think, that, I think that Georgia was very, very competitive in that game. And I think we're due for, uh, like you said, outside of kind of injury things happening, I think we're due for a rematch in the SEC championship, and I can't wait for it. Agreed. And because you know they're going to – Kirby's going to dial something up and uh, defensively. For, for that Bama defense. And and I think they have the guys to, to be able to, to match them. If anybody does, it's got to be them, right? Um, but at, that should be fun. Maybe we get a better Stetson Bennett in that second game. All right, Alan, that kind of wraps us up for our Pick'em pick Rewind. If you, the listener, want to get involved with our Pick'em Rewind and want to have your voice heard on the blackout, get your reaction in for one of these games, or if we give you some good advice, you want to thank us, or hey, if we give you some bad advice and you want to let us know, then you can call us and leave a message at 706-406-3566. That is our blackmail line. Again, that's 706-406-3566. And that voicemail line is open 24-7-365. So get your call in anytime you want. Alan, coming up next, we're going to be recording a Pick'em Pod. That is where we go through and give you our game of the week, our value picks. We've got 15 games on the board this week, 120 points available in the contest. Alan, it's going to be a wild week, and I cannot wait for it. That's coming up next right here on The Blackout. Blackout. 